my name is Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm back, right? Yeah, you can talk. I mean, that's cool. Good for you. Well, we are back because it's the holiday season. So, of course, we must speak about the film, The Legend, Love Actually. Yes, my, my very favorite Christmas movie. Is it really? Not even Family Stone? Yeah, I I Love Actually is definitely my favorite Christmas movie. I watch it every single year. I don't feel like it is the holidays until I watch it. So I usually watch it pretty early. Like I watch it like the day after Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving weekend, typically. That's a smart move. Yeah, I'm trying to think what is my favorite Christmas film. I think Scrooged. The Bill Murray? Yes, the Bill Murray Scrooged. I mean, that's a good one. It's Home Alone for me also. That's such a classic. I'm so charmed by Macaulay Culkin as a child actor to this day. And the violent crimes he commits (laughs) against two men who are just trying to make a better life for themselves. I know. There needs to be a Home Alone sequel where Macaulay Culkin plays a serial killer. (laughs) And that was who, like, commits crimes on Christmas. It's very, like, Silent Night, Deadly Night vibes. Uh Oh, Also, you know, if they did a reboot or one of those, like, requel sequels to Home Alone, it would be a... It would start with a podcast about the... What is it? The Wet Kitchen Bandits? Oh, yeah, the Wet Bandits. The Wet Bandits. and It's very Dexter because it's, like criminals hunting other criminals a soon-to-be criminal yeah it's some real mind hunter shit and then you have like do you consider die hard a christmas film die hard is one of those christmas films that is set at christmas but isn't a christmas film like less than zero like carol my fave um (laughs) yeah but they're in the oeuvre. Once you've run through the classics, you can start getting a little experimental. Yeah, they're definitely in the oeuvre, for sure. But this is not one of those films. This is a film <laughs> that is all about Christmas, the many facets of Christmas, and the many facets of love. Lauren. Yeah, it's a it's a love film. I mean, I think The Holiday and This, which came out within a year or two of each other, are both Christmas films that are about being in love. Yeah. And all of the uh, trials that come with it. Of course. But also, what makes this film so unique is just the ensemble element. Like, we really don't, besides Ryan Johnson and these Knives Out movies, we don't really get good ensemble movies anymore. Yes, it's Altman-esque, for sure. Because I think something inherent in a holiday film is it's about a family. Right. And maybe you get a little bit of the extended family. But the fun of this film is piecing together how all of these characters know each other. Yes. So when did this come out? It came out in 2003, but yet we're still making casual 9-11 references. (laughs) That really doesn't hold up when you watch it 20 years later. I know. That's where this film starts, and it's so emotionally manipulative because this film opens at the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. Right. It's people saying hello again and saying goodbye. And then the voiceover is talking about 9-11. So it's like, not only do we have 9-11, but it's like 9-11 and airport imagery together. I guess the writer-director, Richard Curtis, who previously wrote Notting Hill and uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, hence Hugh Grant's appearance in this film. Yeah. I think the film only opens at the airport because it ends at the airport. You really don't need this opening. Of course. 
but I just think that invoking September 11th at the airport is extra fucked up. Yeah, it came out November 14th, 2003. I think we... that was, yeah, right after. So it's like he wrote this, what, like the day after 9-11? Yes. And then by the time it came out, it was 2003. This is, yeah, I mean, there was a whole thing with media, right? Where like Sex and the City, Friends, they never directly referenced 9-11. Is that your fucking dog again? We've decided that Lauren's dog has dissociative identity disorder. Because when Chelsea walked in today, he was barking at such a volume, which is so not like him, that Chelsea thought multiple dogs were in my house. No, it was like two different barks, hence my theory. Yeah, um, Frosty has three alters, (laughs) one of which ironically is an English bulldog. That's why he (laughs) he gets along with Francis Quito. Um, yes, this is, yeah, there was such a thing in pop culture of not referencing 9-11 that I guess this is Richard Curtis's way. Maybe that's because he's British and he's a little more removed from it or something. Like, because in the United States in 2003, that was still like not something you just casually brought up. No, I mean, we in America in 2003, we were deep in our Freedom Prize era. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Not nostalgic for that at all. So after this airport scene, we meet Billy Mack, who is maybe the most Love Actually of all of the Love Actually characters, right? I kind of think he's the most indispensable from this film. Yeah, he is just a runner going throughout this film. There are some characters we're going to call by their character name. There are some characters that we can't remember their character name. We're just going to call the actor by the actor's name. But this is the actor Bill Nye. Nye. Yeah. Yes, Anna Wintour's boyfriend. That's right. But we're going to call him Billy Mack because I feel like it is a memorable name and he is an iconic character from this film. Yeah, and he recently did one of those GQ, like, taking you through my careers, and he talked about this role and how it changed his life. And how he ultimately got this role was he did a favor for a casting director to just do the table read, and he did so well that they cast him. And then this film did so well that, as an actor, he never had to audition again. Incredible. So there you go. And he's playing an over-the-hill rocker, a Keith Richards-type person, I suppose. And in this scene, he is recording a Christmas-themed version of the Trog's famous song, Love is All Around. Love is All Around Us? One or the other. I don't know. We all know the song. We've heard it. And it's not going well. We quickly realize that he's not enjoying this, but he's incredibly self-aware of where he is at in his career. And he has no fucks left to give. Then we meet Mother of the Year, Emma Thompson, whose child is playing a lobster in the nativity play. Do they ever explain the random, the octopus and the lobster in the nativity scene? Or is this a way to sort of democratize religion? No, I think it's more like there's too many kids and not enough roles. So they had to invent other animals that were not present at the birth of Jesus to be in the school play, including the octopus and the lobster. Actually, she says lobster. And I think that that's one of the most adorable words that British people and Australian people say. Lobster. Wasn't that how your wife says lobster, even though she's Australian? Yeah. And then we get into the stand-in actors for a British version of what I think is my dad's movie. (laughs) I know. 
That was my thought when I was watching this, but okay, I don't understand because are they, I feel like the inference is that they're in a soft core porn, right? Because no hardcore porn would have stand-ins or care about lighting, right? But would a softcore porn even care about that? Yeah, for those who don't know, my father in the early 90s made a lot of those direct-to-video, you know, body of influence, carnal crimes, those type of movies. And it's hard to distinguish the stand-in actors. The male is the actor Martin Freeman, who you saw, you would potentially remember from Black Panther. He's uh, actually British, but he does an American accent in those films. He's the one that was married to Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the film. Oh, no shit. Yes, but, you know, nerds like us would know him from Sherlock and (laughs) the Hobbit films. But he, uh, and Brits, I would be remiss, he comes from the original British office. But yeah, this doesn't make any sense because he makes a reference that he was Brad Pitt's stand-in for seven, seven years, years in Tibet. Tibet. I know. Which it's like, that doesn't make any sense. So when I first watched this movie, I thought that they were the body doubles for famous actors who didn't want to be in these sex scenes. But I remember watching an interview with Martin Freeman where he was like, oh no, they're like in one of those sexy late night movie type things. Right. It's a little like one with the highest production value and like biggest budget that the world has ever seen. There's nothing more degrading than pantomiming a blowjob. Well, I can think of one thing that's more dehumanizing, and it would be if you were in a church about to get married and your soon to be husband says to his best friend, Do you admit that the Brazilian prostitutes were a mistake at your wedding? And because it's the early 2000s, the joke is. The bigger problem was they were men. Ha 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 Oh, God. Um, thoughts on the Joker purple color palette between the groom and the best man? Wait, they were wearing purple? I didn't even notice. Yeah, it was. it stood out to me. Also, I've noticed in our doc that you do not have the character names or the actor names. I will say that Keira Knightley's groom is the actor Chiwetel Ejiofor from 12 Years a Slave. And his best friend, the stalker of all stalkers, is uh, the actor Andrew Lincoln from the show Walking Dead, which we've never seen before. Right. But it took me years to connect that that guy on Walking Dead is the weird friend from Love Actually. So Kira Knightley is getting married to that guy. She would tell you for. And they're doing the whole church wedding, walking down the aisle. She looks gorgeous. Laura Linney is in attendance. She is wearing a knit purple beanie, which in what world? It's really giving anthropology at a wedding. Like, you can't wear a hat, like, unless you're wearing literally, like, a Stephen Jones fascinator in a British cathedral. It's like, don't wear a hat. Although it feels like this wedding is pretty cash, so I think she thought. And it's purple, so it goes with the groom's (laughs) theme. She must have come from the groom's side of the family. So they get married, and then instantly there's a musical flash mob. Yeah, Andrew Lincoln, who has a camcorder while the wedding is going on, even though there is a videographer. Andrew Lincoln being Kira Knightley's stalker. This is how we are going to refer to him for the rest of this episode. Uh, Kira Knightley's stalker has arranged, yeah, that's the best way to describe it, a flash mob of, of instruments to pop out. And play All You Need Is Love. But when all of the musicians are out of their seats, it becomes clear that no one else is at the wedding. 
That's what I was going to say. <laughs> like, they don't actually have any friends. Wasn't Kira Knightley walking down the aisle being like, who the fuck are these people? That's what I thought when she was, when they were walking back through the aisle. Wouldn't she be like, wait, who is that? <laughs> we're sorry that we had to cut that off. But if you like what you just heard and want to listen to the full episode, go to patreon.com slash every outfit.